Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have a very busy guest who's carved out a little bit of time to speak to me. Uh, her name is Jonji Sabo. She's a doctor and a PhD, a chief academic officer at Beth Israel Leahy Health, uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. I'm going to talk about um, her research, which is on hold for a little while because of the coronavirus, but we'll hopefully start up again soon. Uh, she works with uh, what's called in-liver immun- immunology. So, uh, I'll ask her what that means, and I, w- I want to welcome you. Jonji, thank you for coming. But thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah. Well, tell me, um, what is your research uh, typically about? Again, I know it's interrupted, but what is it about uh, right now? Yeah, so I, I, I have a laboratory that, that is, uh, focuses on uh, the role of inflammation and, and innate immunity in liver disease. This is an area that we have been working on for the past, uh, coming closer to 20 years now. Um, by training, I'm an immunologist, and I always uh, studied um, innate immunity, innate immune cell functions, and signal transduction pathways that, that uh, play a role in activation of innate immune cells. And I have a fantastic team of uh, researchers in my laboratory, and now we are focusing on various types of liver diseases that uh, have inflammatory component, which actually involves pretty much almost every type of liver injuries and chronic liver diseases. And uh, we particularly pay attention to signal transduction pathways, um, innate immunity, pattern recognition receptors, inflammasomes, and um, their regulation. So what, what is innate immunity? How does that manifest? Is that in every organ in our body or just liver? So innate, So the immune system itself is a an organ, if you will, it's in a way that it doesn't have a well-defined uh, geo- geographical or, or, you know, location because innate immune cells go into any kind of organ in the liver. So typically in, immune, in, in immunity and, and, and in immunology, we talk about innate and adaptive immune responses. In the innate immune responses, there are certain cell types that are involved in responding to any sort of damage and, and pathogens immediately. So these cell types would include neutrophil leukocytes and the various leukocytes, the cells of the monocyte, the macrophage, lineage, and then various dendritic cell types and, and NK, NK cells. Whereas the adaptive immunity that typically is kind of the second phase of any kind of immune response involves uh, responses from T lymphocytes, various kind of lymphocyte populations, B lymphocytes and NKT cells uh, that have a sort of play a role in kind of long-standing immune responses. Whereas the innate immune responses like immediate and and more kind of generic, if you will. So um, it's also understood that the innate immunity is very important for triggering the appropriate adaptive immunity. So we believe that, that innate immunity is, is, is really a key in many of the 
um, liver diseases um, as it comes to not only pathogen elimination, but in some of the cases where we have uh, chronic inflammation and recognition of various danger signals. So how do we harness innate immunity? Do we, I mean, traditionally it seems like medicine is, you know, or you give a pill and you do what you do and the body just does what it does. But I don't see much partnership with our existing abilities, you know, our innate immunity, et cetera. Is that the, the methodology that you're studying is how we can, again, upregulate our normal immune system or is it a, a replacement for its function? Like, how do you characterize it? So typically, actually, in most of the cases, the, 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 really the, the issue and the difficulty and, and, the, and the cause of disease is not the lack of innate immunity uh, unless there are some you know, inherited kind of defects. But for most of the diseases, really the issue is the overactivation or, or constant chronic activation of innate immunity. So, for example, the, in, the immune responses that are uh, evolutionarily kind of uh, present and, and ready to fight pathogens in order to have the host survival, the same mechanisms and the same innate immune cells and, and responses can be solicited by subtle signals. And often these subtle signals um, are caused by damaged cells and not pathogens. So these innate immune cells uh, have various sort of recognition receptors that some of them called toll-like receptors. That's a family of 10 different kind of receptor systems that are, are expressed either on the surface or inside of the cells. And these can recognize various components from bacteria to fungi or in case of intracellular receptors, viruses. And the, and the triggering of these receptors by traditionally pathogens induces a downstream signaling pathway that very often uh, culminates in inflammation and activation of inflammatory mediators, inflammatory cytokine production. So it turns out that the same uh, evolutionary preserved pattern recognition receptors that normally are activated with, by pathogens called pathogen-associated molecular patterns can also recognize what we call damage-associated molecular patterns, DAMPs. And these typically are um, molecules that, that come from damaged surrounding cells. In innate immunity, um, so is it more often that the body's response is appropriate or is it overreaction? You know, I've heard of cytokine storms, things like that. How do we need to intervene when there's an immune reaction? These innate immune responses are appropriate responses, except for the fact that when uh, surrounding cells are damaged in a sterile way, without in the absence of pathogens, then damaged cells uh, release various signals that are called damage-associated molecules that are recognized by these um, pathogen-recognizing receptors as danger and in response to that, inflammation is induced. So it is not necessarily always an overactivation. In some cases, it could be overactivation, but it could be just simply activation of these um, otherwise um, um, evolutionary conserved uh, pathogen recognition receptors that respond to a damaged um, kind of uh, injury within the body that is in the absence of pathogens. 
and um, that can cause sustained inflammation. Very often, this sustained inflammation actually is, is a very low-level inflammation. So, for example, in um, hepatitis C virus infection, we know that there is an ongoing kind of um, kind of flying under the radar type of low level of inflammatory activation going on in these immune cells that is caused by viral proteins and viral RNA. Similarly, for example, in case of um, the metabolic syndrome and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, you know, none of these patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease have any major inflammatory responses that, that would be manifesting in clinical symptoms necessarily. But if when we look carefully, we can find that there is a low-grade inflammation even at the systemic level in, in patients. And this is, uh, as we now understand, is caused by some of the free fatty acids and, and uh, the metabolic danger signals that come from um, damaged hepatocyte or other kind of cells that can activate the innate immune cells. So, then so is, the, is the goal to be able to observe this low-level inflammation and then say, hmm, all right, something's going on? Are we able to observe that pretty easily or is it difficult or like what? Yeah, so the goal is to understand uh, what is causing all of this and why, why is there inflammation? And, and uh, obviously our, our goal is that by understanding what are the triggering mechanisms, what are the kind of pathogenic components to, that lead to inflammation, that how, the next question is how can we intervene? And how can we, uh, if we can intervene, then how can we turn that into a medication or some kind of a treatment that would benefit uh, patients with liver disease? So this is one of the things that we have done in case of alcoholic liver disease. We identified you know, multiple um, mechanisms by which inflammation is triggered in alcoholic liver disease. And uh, one of the mechanisms that, that we identified was uh, called the inflammasome complex, which is an intracellular, you know, essentially another sensing mechanisms through what's called an NLRP3 inflammasome that results in, uh, in the release of uh, one of the pro-inflammatory cytokines, interleukin-1, beta, and uh, we showed that this, number one, we showed that this actually is happening in alcoholic liver disease and particularly in alcoholic hepatitis, that otherwise in patients uh, manifests as a cytokine storm and causes massive inflammation, not only in the liver, but in the entire body and often leads to multi-organ failure in these patients causing death. So what we identified was that activation of this uh, intracellular complex called inflammasome is, is key in sustaining and perpetuating inflammation. And if we actually block this, uh, the receptor for the IL-1 uh, biological actions by using an IL-1 receptor antagonist molecule, then we actually can attenuate alcohol-induced liver disease. So we did this uh, multiple ways. We showed this in a preclinical system using mice and, and essentially treating mice, if you will, with this IL-1 receptor antagonist that showed very beneficial effects. And then we showed various uh, sort of um, safety for this, this intervention. And um, this uh, now has moved on to a clinical trial that is uh, ongoing. Uh, in fact, we had one of the initial clinical trials that was done through support from the NI, 
NIH. A multi-center trial has been completed, and we, we, we uh, presented the data uh, last year, actually two years ago at the, at the liver meeting, uh, that showed that there is uh, some uh, early, really beneficial signal for using the IV receptor antagonist in patients with severe alcoholic hepatitis. And most importantly, we showed that this was a safe uh, intervention in this, in this otherwise very sick patient population. Follow-up of this, this uh, initial study now, there is a, another large multi-center clinical trial that's about to start here in the United States. Furthermore, um, in the United Kingdom, uh, there is a, a, a clinical trial that is based on our discovery, and that is um, run uh, by Novartis, where they use an IL-1 um, inhibitory antibody in patients with severe alcohol hepatitis. What would be the long-term outcome of you suppressing this uh, like inflammasome response? I mean, the, the underlying pathology may still be there. That's why the response, I would guess, it's not just left on for no reason. So what, what do you think would happen down the road to a patient that is, uh, you know, getting these uh, antagonists for months at a time? So we give this to patients who have severe alcoholic hepatitis. They, these individuals have a very high, greater than 50% 30-day mortality. Once they get admitted to the hospital with this severe alcoholic hepatitis uh, kind of presentation, so when when they receive this this intervention, then uh, um, their long term outcome is uh, expected to be um, superior compared to not receiving the same medication, and that in fact that is what our uh, early uh, clinical trial kind of indicated. We had some early signals suggesting that, that uh, this may have benefit on 90-day survival. And then, of course, it will only work if people stop drinking alcohol. At this point, we, we don't have any studies that would uh, sort of answer the question, what would be the effect of inhibiting IL-1 uh, in patients who continue drinking? But it's an acute problem, and this is at least an acute solution, so it makes total sense. Right. It, it, the acute alcoholic hepatitis is an acute problem. And in fact, it, it is an acute activation of the innate immune responses and inflammation. So that is the reason why we believe that by uh, interfere, inter, interacting and, and essentially stopping this IL-1-induced upregulation of the inflammatory pathway could be beneficial. And this is also beneficial because it doesn't completely block immune responses. So we believe that by kind of dialing down the extent of inflammation, we might be able to um, benefit the liver disease without taking away the host ability to respond to other pathogens. For example, if somebody gets kind of an infection or or needs to sort of uh, fight other infections while on this treatment. Could this be translated to liver plant, liver transplants to uh, facilitate um, or reduce the amount of uh, immune-suppressing drugs needed to accept the transplant? So at this point, I don't think so. But would this, this could benefit liver transplantation indirectly in a way that, um, you know, we may be able to bridge people for... Um, not needing liver transplantation that much with alcoholic hepatitis if we can intervene early on in their alcoholic hepatitis disease. Um, uh, there are some data from mice only 
where we find that actually the regenerative capacity of the liver might be improved by using this IL-1 inhibition strategy. But, um, you know, we, we just have early kind of data from mice, and I couldn't go as far as saying that this is going to be a mechanism by which liver regeneration is going to be resolved. <laughs> it's way more What about in, um, in non-acute situations? Can you... You know, for clinical use, could this be the inflammasome? Could that be correlated with biomarkers? When you do a liver panel on somebody, you may be able to see the problems that are coming, the acute situation that's on the way. Is that a possibility? This this is a very good question. This is something that we actually studied in in mice. So, for example, in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, in in mouse models of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, uh, using a high cholesterol, high fat, and high sucrose diet that's similar to what uh, the Western diet would be in individuals who, you know, have the metabolic syndrome. So when we, when we use mice, we find a very gradual activation of this pathway over time. And in fact, we have to keep maintain mice on this diet for up to about 24 weeks before we start um, the activation to see activation of this inflammasome pathway, but importantly, these mice already developed fatty liver as early as four weeks into this feeding, and then they develop also insulin resistance early on, about eight weeks, similar to what we see in patients. That initially, patients who who kind of are overweight may have fatty liver, but we may not have inflammation in their liver. And the inflammation kind of comes on later on as there is prolonged uh, kind of insult going on to the liver. So in the animal models, we do find that this activation of the inflammasome pathway and IL-1 happens uh, several weeks, 24 weeks into this whole feeding process. In mice, by about 40 weeks of feeding, we find a full spectrum of non-alcoholic steatohepatitis with some fibrosis and even early hepatocellular cancer development that essentially is kind of equivalent to what in humans would be an advanced NASH with, with significant fibrosis. So going back to your question, yes, indeed, this potentially could be a theoretical a biomarker of the extent of or at least certain steps of inflammatory cascade activation. Uh, we are looking into that question, but at this point, I don't have any validation for that in human sample. The, um, the mice that you've been studying, once you're able to inhibit the inflammasome complex, do you stop giving them the alcohol or do they still have it or whatever proxy using to, you know, to make their livers, put their livers in this state? You know, have you observed if uh, it facilitates healing if the person stops or the mouse stops? Right. So that's a very good question. So mice are not human. <laughs> mice are not men, right? And unfortunately, that's absolutely is true when it comes to liver diseases. So mice uh, can very uh, much more rapidly regenerate their liver in- from their liver injury. And uh, uh, and so if we stop giving alcohol to mice, then uh, in about five to seven days, uh, they essentially normalize their livers. So in order to do these type of experiments of interventions to assess the whatever, you know, theoretical um, therapy we give uh, to the animals, we have to do it together, uh, giving it together with, uh, with the alcohol feeding. 
what we did with this um, IL-1 inhibition was that we actually let the mice develop the alcoholic liver disease through a period of three, three, four weeks, and then introduced this quote-unquote treatment with IL-1 inhibition for the next two weeks while they were still getting the alcohol. And even in the, in the setting of receiving alcohol, they showed a regression of the disease. In another experiment, we also asked the question that you posed that what happens if we stop the alcohol and we started to, just like a human would be when they come into the hospital having alcoholic hepatitis, and at that point we introduced the IL-1 inhibition to mice, and what we found is that the recovery to normal was accelerated by inhibiting the IL-1 pathway in mice who received alcohol compared to those who didn't receive, who received alcohol but no IL-1 treatment. So in another words, the interpretation of our data was that the IL-1 inhibition could promote recovery from the alcohol-induced liver injury. How much more is there to, uh, you're going to go to what, phase one next? Are you cleared for that? So phase one is, 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 it was it's actually, we didn't have to really go through phase one because this, this uh, IL-1 receptor antagonist called Anakindra is FDA approved and it was already used in, in patients with other type of diseases. So this was just a new application. And uh, so we had like more of like a phase 2A study with the, um, with the multi-center trial that was already completed. And um, so we are uh, we have very good data on the safety profile of this uh, anakindra in patients with severe or moderate alcoholic hepatitis. Okay. Compared to steroids, that is the current uh, standard of care or treatment that most people use for alcoholic hepatitis, we uh, know that, or what we found was that the side effect profile of anakindra actually was um, somewhat even better than what we would see with steroids. There was no increase in infections. That would be one of the major kind of um, questions, I think, and concerns when somebody interferes with inflammatory responses in a patient who otherwise is, is, is uh, uh, you know, suffering from an overactivation of the immune system. So what's next then? Are you able to move ahead to phase two or are you able to... Are yes, you, we are doing the study now. Again, this is not, uh, the study is not for you know, registration with FDA, but we are doing a, a randomized uh, um, placebo-controlled clinical trial in a larger set of patients now to assess the effect of the IL-1 receptor inhibition in patients with severe alcoholic hepatitis. Oh, very nice. How, how long do you think it'll be until it's available clinically? Well, the clinical trial is going to take probably about two years to... Uh, to enroll enough patients to get statistically significant number of, I mean, statistically a sufficient number of individuals enrolled to, you know, have a chance to, to really come to a conclusion. Mm. Okay. Well, very good. What's the best place for people to find out more about uh, this work in particular? Well, I mean, the clinical trial is, is, is listed under clinicaltrials.gov. And also we have information listed under the ELK-HEP-NET um, um, kind of, uh, this is an alcoholic hepatitis uh, uh, clinical trials network that is supported by the National Institute on Alcoholism and Alcohol Abuse. And of course, uh, if you look up my um, website at the Harvard Catalyst, um, 
where my kind of uh, laboratory is listed, then, then you can find more information about all of our studies. Well, very good. Well, Jonji, thank you for coming. And uh, I know the work's on hold, but uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to it continuing. And uh, so am I, as to all of science. So thank you well, for taking the time to be here. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Richard, any other time. Thanks very much for your time. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.